Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to uh, a guest I've been trying to speak to for quite some time now. He's a very busy man, very much in demand from FINA, um, swim serpentine, from his own training. He's always swimming in his local lake. He's just a legend in the sport of open water swimming, um, even been inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame. I mean, what more could you uh, want from that? Mr. Colin Hill, uh, it's a delight. I know we've known each other for quite some time and some people may not know that you were a pretty good triathlete in your day. But let's go one step further back, shall we, if you don't mind. Uh, you were originally a kayaker. Thanks so much, Dan, and thanks for um, having a chat with me. Yeah, so to go through a very quick history of my swimming, um, I hope you all sort of surprise here, sort of what led me to becoming an open water swimmer. So I started off being a club swimmer, like a lot of other kids. I did the old morning sessions. Um, I went through all doing the swimming galas, all that sort of stuff. So I was I was brought up being a swimmer, which was the best background you can possibly have because <laughs> it's always with you. When I hit about 13, 14, um, I also started kayaking. And my maths teacher took me to a, to a kayak race, and I won that race. So kayaking then became quite a big thing for me. You know, I, I was quite – I think for my swimming background, I had big shoulders, big pair of lungs. And so making the transition to doing kayak racing was quite a seamless one. So that was good. In, interesting um, crossover. Okay. But then, then at the age of fifteen, I was on something called record breakers with Roy Castle. So ah. my kayaking took a strange turn where I started doing um, records for rolling a kayak. So I did the the fastest hundred rolls in the kayak, the fastest thousands, the most <laughs> ever, which was three thousand seven hundred. Oh. It's all quite bizarre stuff, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is a remarkable, and I'm I'm interested in the the so shoulder work and you know being familiar with the water propulsion. I mean, there's you know it may not be direct, but obviously clearly it worked for you. And so swimming stayed with you. Was there a gap? Was there a break? Did you come back to it in between? There was definitely a part when I was sort of doing my A levels where I was just kayaking. You know, I was racing quite seriously then and traveling around doing a few international races. So that was just kayaking around my A-levels. When I went to university, um, then I got, I swam for the, well, I was actually at Kroonal Sager campus, which is part of Manchester. And that's where I started racing again um, in the pool. So, so to keep myself fit for my kayaking, I was then doing a lot of swim work again. So I was back, back in the pool. So I really got my love for, for sort of training and swimming again. But then straight after university, I was, my kayaking took me into become a whitewater rafting guide. So I then worked in, let me think, I worked in Austria, Nepal, Ethiopia. Uh, I was in Ecuador, Zimbabwe. So I was just a full-time whitewater rafting kayak expedition leader in all those places from doing 21-day trips down a river in Ethiopia. Um, Nepal, I was doing 10-day trips. So I really had this really hedonistic time where I was just... Wow. Yeah, being this crazy river guide. But funny enough, I was thinking about this last night because I was thinking about what I was going to say to you. In all those places where I was living, I managed to find swimming pools and I, I used to go and swim. So <laughs> in Kathmandu, there's an American compound, which is part of the embassy, that has a swimming pool. In Ethiopia, in um, Addis Ababa, there was a hotel which had a 50-meter pool. Um, in Zimbabwe, there's a, ho- there a hotel you should go to which had a small 20-meter pool. So even though my passion was kayaking, I never stopped swimming. I used to just love swimming. Um, and then I ended up living in New Zealand and working in New Zealand as a, as a rafting guide in New Zealand and a kayak instructor. And that's where I started doing multi-sport racing, 
which is, you know, triathlon with a kayak element to it. Oh, amazing. And so I started swimming with a master swimming club in New Zealand. And that was, there was a great squad there, you know, really good training. I really got in with the squad and, and I started training sort of every day. And they started doing a lot of sea swimming. And so I was out with them doing a lot of open water swimming. So I think that's where I really got my passion back for swimming full time and back for open water swimming was just, you know, being in New Zealand and swimming over there. And when I came back to the UK, um, I came back with the intention to set up a whitewater rafting company, an international one. That didn't work out. But I started doing a lot of quadathlons, which is the equivalent to the UK, which is like triathlon with a, a kayak section. But I found that, I was like, you know what, I'm doing these races, but there's only kind of eight people in the race. So there was, <laughs> it was often held the same time as a triathlon. There'd be like 200 people in the triathlon. So that's when I thought, look, I want, I want the competition. So that's when I switched to doing triathlon. And we, I think we raced together a few times, Dan. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, so at the time, whatever I do, I've got this really weird thing. Whatever I do, I'm sort of obsessive about it. So in triathlon, I, I did pretty well. I was age group champion. I, you know, I raced for the England team and the home nations. Um, you know, so I really, I really liked the competitive side. I remember chasing you from a distance, quite a, quite a few events. You were, it's it's interesting that that multi sport element. Um, I remember it well. It was popular, but it's interesting the low numbers. Do you, do you just not think it was right at the time? It, it was in the wrong period because so many other spin offs have become. You know, I'm thinking of Otillo and and uh, other events you know, out of triathlon have become really popular, but that one hasn't. Is, is it just too much equipment, too much time? Yeah, but to be good at the multi-sport, so adventure racing is very accessible. Okay. Because a lot of the kind of canoeing side, it's it's often inflatable canoes or, you know, you just have to be transfer your fitness. Where the multi-sport races, it's generally people who are good in a sprint kayak. And that's quite a hard thing to sort of master. You know, it's... They're very unstable boats, long. You know, it's what you see in the Olympics, the guys. You, it's that type of kayak if you want to be any good at it. So I think, I just think the few, the numbers of people who were good at that kind of kayaking and had the, the discipline with the swimming and everything else was was so few, it just never really caught on. And, um, and was adventure racing and swim run thing, it's, it's much more accessible. And, and was it work, family commitments? Eventually you sort of found your way back into pure swimming or, or sometimes do you still throw in the occasional triathlon? There was a few things. One was I used to, I used to be quite good at running, which is a bit bizarre because I, I was never built like a runner. You know, I've always had these big shoulders, big chest. Um, but, you know, I did the New York Marathon in 250. Um, I was doing quite fast half marathons and eventually took a toll on my calves. Yeah. So I found myself that I, was, I, I would do a triathlon and then I couldn't walk for a couple of days properly. And, you know, I couldn't really run until the next competition. I probably just about recovered. And just a toll on my body, what I found with the running and the pounding. Um, if I can't do something, you know, as much as I, as I can, then I don't really want to do it so much. So I found that swimming was perfect just to move back into swimming. And then, um, you know, I ended up living in the Lake District. And so I was just ended up just swimming lots of the length of lakes at a time when, it wasn't really fashionable to swim length of lakes. You know, there's there only back, this is sort of 1999, 1998. It was kind of the British Long Distance Swim Association were doing them. And I didn't see anybody else swimming at all in the lakes back then. And so that's where I started just sort of getting my, you know, I, I like doing things, getting my own head and doing things by myself. And long distance swimming just seemed to suit me. 
It does, doesn't it? And and you you sadly you were um, your Lake Geneva attempt. I mean, that would have been just as a handful of swam that solo, but that didn't quite work out the other year, did it? No, it didn't. And that was a lot of that was down to my commitments to FINA. FINA. Um, so, was, you know, FINA is the world governing body for swimming, and I'm lucky enough that after we'll probably go into it, but after I worked on the Olympics, FINA asked me to work with them as an upwater swimming consultant. So I actually attend all the international events throughout the year with them. Especially and the that, ones in the Seychelles, I notice. Yeah, well, I actually <laughs> the Seychelles is the first time they've ever organized an open water events. Very envious. Oh. Yeah, and so I had to go out there and help them with the development of it. Now, it almost sounds good, but I mean, <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's a full, you know, it's a long travel out there. And then I'm there for like three days for the race and I'm flying back again. So it also... I can't complain. <laughs> and if I try and complain, people just don't, don't think, have any sympathy. But, uh, but no, so I really enjoy doing that. But it does take me away a lot normally. Obviously, not at the moment. Have you, have you got another swim planned? Have you got something in mind come upcoming or just ticking over with, obviously, I mean, obviously at the moment, it's not easy to, to plan anything. But um, is have, have you done Lake Zurich? Have you done sort of the Manhattan, round Manhattan? Any of those appeal? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of swims I would really dearly love to do, but I mean, I kind of set myself this year, it's really trying to get my new business up and going, and I've got to really commit to that, so, you know, if I'm not overseas and I'm in the, in the Lake District, I live next to Allswater, um, so really my own my own swims at the moment are really just swimming the length of Allswater here and just enjoying myself where I am, and I haven't sort of set myself any, any big goal at the moment, it's really just trying to get things you know, my open water swim business up and running. Let's, um, I don't want to sort of down, you know, you're, you're, I know you're incredibly modest, but I don't want to sort of, um, you know, you really were, obviously your work in terms of the Great North Swim revolutionized open water swimming in this country. And that was pretty much you, all right, maybe not single-handed, but it was your vision, wasn't it, while you were working with the Great North Run? Is that how it unfolded? Exactly, yeah, yeah, and I'm quite, so it was, it was quite, quite a funny story. So 2007, Brendan Foster, who owns the, who owned the Great North Run, he was sort of the MD. He wanted to sort of branch out to some different sports. And one of them was swimming, but all they could think about at the time was pool swimming. They were looking at different ways of right. having a new spin on pool swimming and different challenges that kids could do and stuff like that. At the time, I just I entered a British Long Distance Swim Association race and I sent my check off too late. It got returned to me. I didn't get into it. And I remember being a bit frustrated, thinking, oh, my God, there's so, such hard work sometimes to take part in the water swim race. You know, you had to have the name of your pilot confirmed. You had to hire a boat. Um, it was quite sort of, you know, it's quite a clicky, sort of great group. I, lo- I love them, but it's quite clicky. They're not very sort of open. A lot of, hard to find out a lot of barriers, things. a lot of barriers to get into it. Yeah. It was certainly, certainly back then. It, it has changed now. Yeah. Back then, yeah. And so I sort of, so I had this like, you know, this moment where I sort of, I was swimming in the public pool at Elzig, which is that poolside doesn't exist now, before before going down to work. And I saw all these people swimming alongside me, and I thought, you know what? None of these people call themselves swimmers. You know, they just go swimming in the morning. They're not club swimmers. They just enjoy putting around. And I suddenly thought, what if I could do for open water swimming? what sort of the Great North Run does or these marathons do. Have an event which you can enter online easily. There's a lot of razzmatazz, um, you know, so easy distances, accessible, wetsuit optional. I wasn't going to be sort of no wetsuits or wetsuits. And 
now it just seems like a no-brainer. People probably think, oh, there's always been open water swims. <laughs> back then, there wasn't. It just, you couldn't just do an open water swim like that. So, oh, I, um, I know, first, yeah. Yeah, the first one, I remember pitching this to, to the directors of Great Run. And I got a few heckles. I just didn't think it was going to work. But Brendan believed in me. Um, I, knew, I knew the Lake District well. So I went across, knocked on the door of the Lowood Hotel and said, you know, can I do a swim event out here? And they were like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. Not realizing how big it was going to be. <laughs> and year one, we got 2,400 people in year one. And doubled in year two and went up to 10,000. But really from, from that, from 2008, that's when other organizers realized actually there was there was a sort of a market for swimming and but more importantly i think people suddenly discovered they could call themselves swimmers yeah who'd never yeah. done that before and all the marketing i said like don't market the triathletes ignore those guys uh, ignore club swimmers all of our marketing the first year was posters and swimming pools trying to attract people from the pool to go to open water and, and just an enjoyable event, not even really a race, but just an event. Yeah, just just that sort of just getting that buzz around it, and, you know, trying almost just having that as a gateway, so people could do you know do no more event where they, they weren't very confident, and just have the handheld of the whole process from start to finish. Everything was catered for them, which was completely different from a lot of the races. I mean, there was the charity events, you know, down on the pier that did, that was going ahead, but. Just a big mass open water event. This was kind of something new, and yeah, I think from that point on, open water swimming was very different. And th- and that was a pivotal year. I mean, it, it was helpful that we medalled in Beijing at the Olympics, but suddenly um, it it just exploded from there, didn't it? I mean, it it coincided with my last Ironman, and then the following year, I just had so many events available i didn't even need to think about another triathlon which which was great because i was never much of a runner but um you know from there you know the outdoor swim society you know it's around the same sort of time i think maybe a little bit afterwards you know river dart 10k and and the longer was the challenge but it just really exploded at that point and and you know if if Triathlon helped a little bit in terms of opening up. I give them credit because, it, you know, from my coaching experience, we opened and found a lake because triathletes wanted to come and train in the, in the outdoors. You know, not many people ever asked for that before. So suddenly there was lots of training venues and then there was some of the triathlon organizers look, offering swim-only events. And it just exploded in that year. It was a, it was a magical time. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're perfectly similar there. There was, a, there was a perfect storm. So we had the Great North Swim two years before David Williams from the channel. And That's I don't think right. you can underestimate how much that caught people's imagination again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people didn't realize that he was a bit of a swimmer. They just saw this comedian suddenly swim the channel. <laughs> um, but still, that, that did lots of sort of to awaken people. Kate Rue published, published Wild Swim, and she had a lot of articles in The Guardian, you know, about wild swimming. So again, that sort of helps and then yeah our olympians so um dave davis uh cassandra Patton, and kerry ann Payne, and um and we had all of those at the great swim as well so we had all the olympic medalists including um including martin who won the gold um, and larissa who won the gold in the women's race so we, we kind of and it's also the first great North swim i had kate rue come up and she had to stand for the outdoor swimming society so, you know, we tried to kind of bring all these things together as well. You know, very conscious about the other work that was going on. So, yeah, a lot of things came together. And then I think from that point on, it's just, it's just grown and grown and grown. 
and, and remarkable. And from your successes there, did Chill Swim happen around the same time or afterwards, or was that something that you had in mind yeah. as well? Yes. Yeah, so what happened there was um, 2011, I got asked to work on the Olympic Games, and I got asked to be the technical manager for the marathon swimming events, which has basically been in charge of all the logistics around the actual the water side. So I left my very stable, good job with Great Run, which everyone thought was crazy. Oh. Moved down to London for a couple of years, and that's where I kind of got in with a serpentine swimming club, started doing winter swimming, um, met a lot of the elite swimmers, started meeting guys from FINA, and I had a fantastic couple of years. met my wife, uh, Steph, who was, she was second in charge of all the cycling stuff in the Olympics. And so that really, I got even more involved in overall swimming than ever before. And when, when, I was, when I finished with the Olympics, I wanted to continue my work with Great Swim, but I did a pitch to them about having winter swim races, having length of lake swims, developing products. And to be honest, they were kind of in their comfort zone with what they were doing. They didn't yeah. really want to, at the time, do different things. And so I said, you know, if I can't do that, because I can just see the sport growing, then I'll, I'll give it a go myself. And so um, that's when Chill Swim came about in 2012. And Chill Swim was kind of a almost an antidote to the Great Swim then, fully enough, because I always thought the Great Swim would develop more. And so what I wanted then was... The Chill Swim Coniston was a that was a length of lake swim where everything was catered for. Again, sounds sounds like it happens all the time now, but back then it was again it was having five hundred people swimming the full length of Coniston and I gave everyone a tow float. Nobody knew what the hell the tow float was back then. <laughs> um, you know, so so that was really good as well. So I, yeah, and I did the winter swim race, having been to the World Championships in Latvia in two thousand and it was 2011 um i then replicated that sort of concept up to windermere and at the time in the north there wasn't much winter swimming going on so that really took off yeah so chill swim was, was a was you know it was great to do that have my own company and just try and do all the kind of more crazy ideas that i had and just give them a go it's it's a beautiful swim and i i, I came up and did it the once and i it, it was a not surprisingly it was a rainy day in the lake district <laughs> yeah. um, but it was magical and um, but you've you've let that go but it still continues doesn't it and you, do you have any involvement in it anymore yes yeah, so there's, there's two companies so i set up chill swim and also swim secure and people might have heard of them with the the tow float products which are sort of helped develop and i let both of them go i sold both of them um the swim secure was because it was just getting too big. We had so many boxes. We were importing tons of boxes that were coming to the house. We were shipping them off internationally. We were trying to cater for all these international clients. And really, we needed something else to take over that. And then Chill Swim, to be honest, I should, probably should have expanded more and had some partners come on board. But it was just a lot of stress to do yeah. these big upmore events by myself. And, you know, a good company called Epic Events, they, wanted, they were looking at a having some blue ribbon events and so I, I, I'm still involved with the guys I was speaking to Rob yesterday um, from Epic Events well Chill Swim now and I'm still advising them on a All's Water event they're going to do so yeah I'm still involved with the guys they, they are Swim Secure I'm still involved with those guys as well and they are stressful aren't they I, I don't maybe people do maybe they don't but you know when in, in the south here outside of London we, we organised a, a small event um, and you know it grows a little bit. You want more safety cover just in case. It grows a little bit. You add more. Then the insurance changes. There's there's an awful lot that goes into these events. And, you know, if it's not done well, 
people will soon find out and and it has to be done well doesn't it yeah and because of my background with great great run great swim the olympics i can't do an event that isn't you know top notch you know from the medical cover the water safety cover having separate managers come in just to manage those different elements but yeah you're right i mean every single thing you know toilets you know you've got to you've got to manage you've got to get the supply you've got to arrange where they're going to be dropped off at you've got to have permission to put them somewhere you've got to arrange a pickup time you've got to have security to look after them that's just one element of hundreds of things that you're you're managing and looking after you know so i must admit, at the moment i'm working with london i've worked with london marathon since the start of their swim serpentine events i've been their swim swim manager and that's quite nice because i'm just in charge of the water section okay there's other people in charge of different elements of that one so yeah, it's not quite so much stress. I mean, your passion for, for all elements of swimming, it, it just comes through clearly. And, and I'd actually forgotten about your, your, your love of the ice swimming, which uh, is something, something you will not get me doing. More pr- you know, proud of you and good, good luck to you. But, you know, and again, the products, you know, you want swimmers safe in the water. So you created those years ago, didn't you? All the elements. Um, and, they've, you know, that's become a whole industry in its own right now as well. Yeah, so it used to be because I, sw- I used to live next to Windermere, and I'd go out swimming in the morning, and I was always conscious if I heard boats around, I would always get a bit nervous. So I used to, at first I had a surfer's leash around my ankle, <laughs> attached to a scuba diver's long sort of torpedo type thing, and that's what I used to use, and I, and I knew as soon as I wanted to do Coniston, I thought, right, I've got to, I don't want to pack up, this is going to sound morbid, excuse me, but I don't want to pack up at the end of the day. <laughs> And somebody came up to me and say, oh, where's my husband gone? Yeah. You know, and just not know where they were. So I knew I wanted to do something. And in Italy, I'd seen in Italy, they had these like almost beach balls, which they attached to swimmers. And then when I was when I was in a World Winter Swim Champ, I met a guy from China, and they were developing some sort of uh, the dry bag type. And so that's, I got in touch with him, and that's when we developed the toe floats, the donuts. Um, you know, I developed the wild swim bag. But for years, I spent my years going around triathlons and open water swims, just explaining what the hell these things were. <laughs> but when you again, uh, things change so quickly, now everyone thinks, oh yeah, they've always been around. You know, everyone knows what toe floats and dry bags are. But but again, I used to have to say to people, you know, you put them on your waist, the ball behind you, you know, for visibility, you, you can hold on to them. People just didn't know what they were, and it spent me it took me years just trying to get the information out there and get people to even use them and try them. I mean, our training camps to Lanzarote, we, we go over and swim on the, 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 uh, the Ironman course. And as a lifeguard, as a coach, you're on the beach. And as bright as your <laughs> swimming hat might be, you, you know, uh, you're only going to see the top couple of centimeters. Whereas, you know, a toe float bouncing around completely above the surface. It's, it's so ele- ele- such an elegant solution. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, it was, there was also the International Marathon Swim Association. They had a dry bag style over in the States. Um, but really in the UK, you know, yeah, my, well, first we called chill swim bags and I changed it to swim secure bags. You know, they really were. We were the first ones out. We were the ones who spent all the money on the advertising and promotion to make them what they are now. Um, but sadly, people do come along and copy your products. Sometimes they copy it exactly. Uh, yeah. Sometimes even take the same names, which... You know, that was another reason why I got rid of the rid of Swim Secure as well. It was just I used to find it just too depressing when yep. <laughs> people, people people who I knew or 
companies that I had association with or also I knew, you know, they were just simply copying the products. And there was, it was kind of, I just got really annoyed and angry by it. And so, yeah, eventually it was, I was kind of, yeah, it was the right thing for me to sort of move on from that. Let's, um, your passion I mentioned, and, and it go, at the moment we're finding ourselves in strange times, aren't we? Because obviously yeah. you have a, a, a passion for keeping swimmers safe. And unfortunately, some of the governing bodies are possibly legislating a little bit too much. And, and you know, I'm, I'm proud of the way you speak up. Sometimes I wish I could do a little bit more, but, you know, it's, it's a tricky one. And I, I, I don't like yeah. all the politics. And I know what we do at our lake is very good, but I know not everyone at their own lakes going above and, uh, you know, because obviously with one lifeguard, with one paddle, you, you know, these people need to be paid. If you've got four, it costs a lot more. And it's bottom line. Um, equally, you've got access to beautiful lakes, which, you know, people should be allowed to swim for free. Um, and we've got different rules and regulation depending on which of the, you know, which nation you're in. Uh, Scotland, it's a lot more accessible, isn't it? Um, it's a bit worrying at the moment where it's all going to, uh, how it's going to unfold. Yeah, so my sort of thoughts on all of that, and I'll try and give a brief as that, Open water swimming really—it's it developed the way I sort of spoke about it. it developed very organically with outdoor swimming society, great you know, the commercial sector, and then Facebook groups with clubs setting up, and that's how the sport grew to what it is today. And all of a sudden, you've got thousands and thousands of people around the country open water swimming. Now, in some ways, Swim England and British Triathlon—they turn around and go. Oh my God! There's all these swimmers and events, and we've got nothing to do with that. We've we've had nothing to do with that. Where they come from, and they think, hold on, we're governing bodies. Surely they we should, we should. They should come under us somehow. You know, we've got to we've got to try and regulate or set guidelines. And all I try and do is just try and shine a spotlight on that at times. And I know I've got the backing of the Outdoor Swim Society. Feel the same. Is that some things absolutely need regulators? You know, if there's if there's private bodies of water and somebody wants to have some guidance, then there's people there for that. But just your general open water swimmer who's going along and swimming in a the lake, there doesn't need to be guidelines because people have done that for hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years. Of years. So, um, and I think sometimes a bit of a land grab and people get a federation triathlon can get a bit carried away and they want, you know, they talk about setting guidelines for open water swimming, but not, but they, when they think about open water swimming, they're thinking about, triathlon style of water swimming where people are training in groups and organizations and you know they don't think about swimming under five degrees in no wetsuit or yeah. swimming for 10 hours without a wetsuit or you know swimming in high mountain taunts you know it's it's such a wide brushstroke just to call up water swimming one thing and try and decide to try and become a governing body somehow so yeah so all i do is just try and say because i mean i know a lot of the people from these federations as do you dan and so when, when I hear certain advice or, you know, regulations coming out, I know who's been saying that. And I think, well, I know that they don't know about this type of sport. And even when they try and get experts in, I just, I just don't think that, you know, we need to over-regulate. You know, you, you can go, you can put on your running shoes and run, run on the roads, or you can go for a, a cycle ride and not have to adhere to certain guidelines. I, mean, I feel like sometimes people want guidelines for every yeah. single swimmer goes out. They want to sort of... I mean, as we've... As, as we've already mentioned, you know, from ice swimming to triathlon to Otillo to, um, you know, 
there's so many elements to it now. There's just the casual person that wants to just is fortunate enough to maybe have a small river at the end of their garden, you know, and and off they go. It 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 it, it we can't just brush this with the swimming general statement, can we? No, you know, I mean, you go you go down to you go to Blackpool and you go on the beach and you go swimming in the sea. That's open water swimming, and. I have to say, I did disagree slightly with um, the other day. We've had thousands of people going to little, to various rivers and in the sea for swimming. But you know, that was a short-term thing. And you know, as soon as the shops were open, a lot of people <laughs> go to the shops the next sort of weekend. Um, I think swimming is a, it's 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 a free and open thing to do. It's like jumping on a bike and going cycling. And you can just you know, people should as long as they use their common sense. I always say to people, use a common sense. I always say, try and find some swimmers in your area to talk to and try and take you out. Um, you know, find the Facebook groups. You know, down south, you've probably got to find people like yourself, Dan, who've got who've got lakes where they can go for sessions. It's, you know, it, it's very easy to go and do. And I, I just, yeah. The governing bodies are great for certain things, often for competition structure. I just don't think they need to get involved all the time. How excited are you to look? I mean, obviously, you've seen so many aspects of swimming and you've been a competitive swimmer. It just all comes together now. So you've got your own endless pool. That must be an exciting <laughs> yeah. prospect. Yeah, it's quite an investment, really. So the, the plan was because my house overlooks Allswater. Allswater is the second largest lake in the Lake District. It's not quite so busy as Windermere. Um, I love it so much. And, and part of my sort of goal is to spend more time in the UK, not travel about quite so much. And, you know, so what I want to do is have a bit of a base here. So there's a hotel called Another Place Hotel, who are fantastic, a really beautiful, active hotel. And they've, um, and that's where I do my open water swim coaching from. I've got my, my boat is moored on their jetty, so I can take people for length of lake swims, cross lake swims, and I have an endless pool now as well. So I can, people can come along, they can stay at the hotel, I can take them into the endless pool, look at their technique take them in the open water for an introductory swim or a family wild swim or a cross lake swim so yeah i've got a bit of a hub here which is quite nice and is there a is there a website where people can find all this information absolutely let me do a plug it's <laughs> it's um, allswaterswimplace.com so and yeah allswaterswimplace i'm on instagram um check out my youtube channel i'm very proud of that as well that's colin hill swims and i've got tons of videos on winter swimming wild swimming um, family swims, you know, so that's Elite Swims, that's Colin Hill Swims, my YouTube channel, and All's Water Swim Place, the website. Colin, that's amazing. I really am looking forward to coming and visiting. Um, a, a gentleman in the sport that has touched on so many areas, done so much to promote and, you know, have people swim well. Just wish you luck for the future, and I do look forward to getting out of this lockdown nonsense and seeing it at your race again soon. Swim Serpentine is hoping to go ahead, is that right? In... Yes, we're still, we're still planning on it going ahead. I'm doing different guidelines at the moment about how we can make that happen. It's obviously down to government advice at the end of the day, but so London Marathon is still working hard on bringing the Swim Serpentine, which is in mid-September. I will see you there, fingers crossed. Thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure. I'll get um, this uploaded, get it uh, linked to everyone, and uh, I'll let you know where to find it. All right. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Dan.